Hey, fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy at Floors to Your Home. Right, Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just 80 cents a square foot. 80 cents a square foot, that's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations. Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floors to Your Home. That's who. On the Andy, or the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN, a longtime cornerstone in terms of executive experience in the NFL. A variety of stops, uh, and I look at it because I think we're about the same age, and he's just been one hell of a lot more successful than I. Let's welcome to the show Mike Tannenbaum via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Are you the class of 1987, Mike? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, man. I'm looking at that. I don't want to go. I don't want to put your resume up against mine, I don't think. I don't think it's going to work out for me right there. (laughs) Uh, I got a long way to go myself, so. (laughs) All right. Let's look at the uh, the resume so far this year on what you've seen in the ways that the Colts are handling Jonathan Taylor and his situation compared to the way that his representation is handling things right now. How do you break that down? Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot of this summer about the running back market, you know, from Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and, and here with Jonathan Taylor. And I think in Jonathan's case, he's a great player. I think he transcends the position. I think he's well worth extending. I think when a player can impact your team in all three phases, at all three downs, I should say, especially in the passing game, then that's when you should pay him. And, um, I think both sides may have been able to handle things differently. Look, I've been in these situations before where, you know, unfortunately emotions get in the way, but when it's all said and done, I think the Colts are lucky to have Jonathan Taylor. And if I'm Jonathan Taylor, I want to tamp down the emotion and figure out a solution that both sides can live with. Which one do you believe has played uh, the worst role in all this so far? Has it been the, the outspoken nature of the owner or the outspoken nature via social media of Jonathan Taylor's representation? Yeah, well, I would say this from the, the ownership standpoint. Look, 31 other teams are going to clip what Jim Irsay said, and I think he was more well-intended than maybe his statement came out. But the next time the Colts are competing for a free agent with another team, I promise you that team's going to play that clip because it came across somewhat, you know, and I don't think he meant it this way, but like – there, there was a feeling like he didn't just care about the player very much, which I don't think is the case. And here a lot of people have great experiences there. So I don't think that was the case. Now, with that said, the agent should not be engaged on social media. His job, he was hired to do his job. His job is to get Jonathan Taylor a long-term deal and to say to do things on social media that are inflammatory is inconsistent with the task at hand. When you're running an organization in the past, have you have ever had to deal with the outspoken nature of an owner? And if so, how how does that affect your day-to-day operation and and, and how you're trying to handle a situation? Sure, it comes up, you know, um, you know, running a couple of different franchises and 
basically what you're trying to do when you have the privilege of one of these jobs is you're, you're just playing point guard. You're sitting between the owner and the head coach, and you're going to decide like who's going to speak on, the, on behalf of the organization and what, what are you going to say. Because at the end of the day, you know, if Jim Ursay speaks, whatever it may be, monthly, quarterly, when something big's happening like it is with Jonathan Taylor, Chris Ballard, you know, he's the guy that has to go out there and talk about, you know, the contracts and, you know, Shane Sykin's going to be out there, obviously, more day-to-day. And he, Jim Ursay doesn't want to put those two gentlemen in a position where they're talking about his comments. That, that does not advance the program. It's not what the fans want. And that's why if Jim Ursay is going to speak, they should all at least be on the same page. Like, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? What's our message? Who's our audience? You know, because I was around the, the greatest of all when it came to dealing with the media, which was Coach Parcells. And there'd be a lot of times where Bill was actually speaking to the locker room. He was just using the media as a forum to do so. Well, it, it's weird you bring that up because I was around and have friends that were around the time when Bill Polian was here, right? And I mean, it was universal rule right there. And I mean, he knew he knew everything from what was going on to with all his players to how many paper clips you know that somebody had on their desk out at the, the Colts complex. He he knew everything, and he had his own talk show at the time on the radio. The you know Dungey didn't even have that back then. Is there a different philosophy in somebody in this case as a general manager in running a team, um, you know, with with an owner? I think it's better here if the owner feels compelled that he can't take a back seat and let the general manager handle it and not get active. I know social media is different now, but how about that overall one-man ruling type of situation Bill Polian had? Is is that good? Would that sustain in the era of NFL we're in today? Yeah, I think it can. I mean, we see it, look, candidly, in all different shapes and sizes today. I mean, we see owners speak like Jerry Jones and, um, you know, in the same division, you never hear from Jeff Lorry, right? Like, so not – all situations are the same, but I think more fundamentally, if it's Bill Polian or Jim Ursay or Shane Steichen or Tony Dungy, the messaging has to be consistent, which is like, this is a great place to go to work every day. It's a great city to live. They're passionate sports fans. They support the team through thick and thin. And we value Jonathan Taylor. He's a really good player. He helps in the passing game. And we have a big challenge because right now the market is the market. Running backs aren't getting paid, but we care deeply about Jonathan, and hopefully we can find some middle ground. And regardless of who's saying that, if that's the message, again, the goal is you want to tamp down the noise, not inflame things. So Mike Tannenbaum of ESPN's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So when for a veteran like Jonathan Taylor, and again, the news today is he he's off-site rehabbing an ankle of which a teammate, EJ Speed, had a similar procedure and is, is back running around right now. That's kind of the point that's everybody making. All right, so he's off-site rehabbing an ankle, but where is the danger zone of if he's not back and things aren't good to where he is ready to play when does missing time really become detrimental to not just Jonathan Taylor but to the team orientation here well you know you bring up a really interesting point which is this whole notion of non-football injury NFI what's really important for the audience to understand is the reason that becomes truly a, a very significant option is that's when a payer isn't paid and for a club to even suggest that, that is going to rile up the other side. So when that kind of came out a couple of weeks ago and this whole thing started about, you know, are these injuries NFI, that again is going to inflame things. And, you know, 
look, the proof will be in the pudding here, right? We're going to be talking about preseason games and regular seasons about a month away. If he can't play in a regular season game, you know, I'm sure the Colts, I mean, based on what they've already said, they're going to evaluate their options. And one of the things they're going to consider is they're going to try to deem these injuries non-football. And when they do, you know, that's just going to, you know, set off a whole other set of grievances. And, you know, certainly Jonathan Taylor is going to try to get paid, and the Colts sound like they may attempt not to. So the situation at hand is, as of today, Shane Steichen talked about it, that he's rehabbing offside his ankle. Is that a ploy that some agents will use? I mean, maybe it's not as bad as you think, but you do want to make sure that this is not something that can be defined by the organization as an offside injury, thus not having to pay him. Is that something that is is commonly used? I, I say commonly. Yeah, that, that, is it commonly used by somebody in a situation like Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, that, that it does come up. It, it's and we tell players, you know, like especially when they do things like some like to, you know, water ski or play basketball, you know, we're very clear proactively to say, hey, you know, if something would happen and you're doing, you know, X or Y, that that is non-football related. And be careful because if you ever put yourself in a position of getting hurt, you know, we don't have to pay you. So I always try to get things just to avoid things getting messy. Um, but – Again, I think this situation where if I'm Shane Steichen, if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm telling Jonathan Taylor, like, look, you're a grown man. You can do whatever you want, but you're much better off being in this facility every day. Um, it gives you your best chance to be successful. And candidly, it does give him protection against, you know, a non-football injury situation. So I think there's more to come on that. Um, but clearly um, – you know, the line is drawn, you know, if he's not going to be in the facility. So Mike Tannenbaum is with us. I've said this all along. I think that we, we talk about running backs as disposable positions now. You know, when you mentioned this a little bit earlier, if you can be active on third down, pass catching wise, you know, McCaffrey, Kamara can be viewed differently. You know, Jonathan Taylor's more of that old school form bell cow type of guy, and those are viewed as disposable. However, I look at him with Anthony Richardson, with all that inexperience, whom they want to have out there in week number one. I look at, to me, Jonathan Taylor being. Uh, to me, more important to this team than any other running back situation that we have talked about around the NFL. I just think because of the situation with the rookie quarterback and what they want him to learn, I think Jonathan Taylor is more important here than he would be basically any other place in the NFL. Do you believe that? Yeah, although I I would push back on one aspect of it. Like I'm hard-pressed to understand why Anthony Richardson needs to start on opening day. Like We want him to be great for the next 10 years. And to me, let's go back to the Super Bowl. Two great young quarterbacks, right? Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. Neither one of them started right away. Patrick Mahomes was traded up for in the first round. He played sort of one game his rookie year. And in terms of the other one, Jalen Hurts sat for over a year behind you know Carson Wentz. So to me, what, what is the rush here? And I think Anthony Richardson has just absolutely rarest of tools, but why are we getting out? You know, why are we trying to get him out there so fast? Um, I, I, I think that I, to me, this is my opinion, and I want you to be able to speak to this because you have more experience than I ever will. I just think you want to get him out there and get him with the experience. To me, it's different 
than Mahomes and, and different than Hurts here. You want to give him with 13 games under his belt collegially as much experience as, as possible. And I think the sooner that you can punch that clock with Anthony Richardson, the better for him and this team and a fan base around here as well, whom know you're not going to get great results from a team but can get excited about a level of play even if there are massive amount of mistakes going on. I just think that it's important for him to get out there and get that experience as quickly as possible here. Yeah, and and again, you know, we had Mark Sanchez who started as a rookie and went on and did some good things, especially, you know, in the playoffs, but by and large, I would I would wait because to me, I want them to be excellent for 10 years and just understanding the protections, like when you ask quarterbacks, they are literally, you know, they're learning a new language, and they talk about that. Like, they need time to, in Anthony Richardson's case, it's probably the first time he's had a job, and he's moving to a new city, and he's learning his teammates' names and the playbook, and you want to make sure that he is ironclad with protections, where he has, you know, what we used to say, does he have a mastery-level understanding of protections because you don't want him to take a hit where he thought he was protected and he's not. So that's why to me, on any of these quarterbacks, you know, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, or Anthony Richardson in this case, I am in no hurry to get them out there. And if he starts on October 1st, October 15th, I don't think it matters, but let him understand the play clock and, and all the other nuances that are different between college and pro football. Mike Tannenbaum of ESPN's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Right, besides this JT thing, which goes on here in Indy, give me the most interesting story as we close the conversation here that you have seen so far in covering camps and and uh, so on and so forth regarding either new players, new faces, new places, rookies, what have you. What's been the most interesting storyline you've come across so far? Yeah, for me, ironically, I'll go with Jordan Love. You know, sitting on the same theme of quarterback, I think he's going to have a great year. I think he's really benefited from sitting behind, you know, Aaron Rodgers. And the reason I think the Packers feel that way is what they didn't do. They didn't run out to California and try to, you know, talk Aaron Rodgers into playing. And, you know, they really believe in what they have. And I think Jordan Love is going to play really good football. And uh, I would be surprised if that team didn't compete meaningfully for you know, a chance to be in the postseason. you got a rookie quarterback's name right now that you think is going to have more success than the others, especially those, those major ones we've talked about, whether it's you know, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson. I don't know where Levis is going to be further down the road in Tennessee. But among those three, who do you think has the opportunity to show brightest in year number one? Yeah, I'll go with Bryce Young, just really based on the experience that he has in, in that offensive line. Um, again, taking nothing away from C.J. Stroud or, or Anthony Richardson, I just think you know Bryce Young has you know an unusual amount of experience, and um, that should serve him well. And I, and I do think he will play early, but I think Andy Dalton, Gardner Minshew, Davis Mills, those are three really good veteran quarterbacks that – I would really not hesitate to play early. So Mike Tannenbaum of ESPN, the former general manager, and then some with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Uh, when are you going to be back on TV? Tell everybody. Uh, uh, Thursday, back on uh, ESPN. So it's on today. He'll be back on Thursday. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. I'm sure we'll do it again over the course of the season. And here's hoping the next time that you're on here, we're talking about Jonathan Taylor actually playing and not sitting out right now. So hopefully that's the case. But I appreciate you, Mike. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, and that sounds great.
on the Andy Moore Automotive. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Group Highline. Uh, he is going to start his first season with us. And he's the fourth of, actually, the fourth PFF dude that has joined us in the past four years. So I don't know if it's me or if it's them. Let's welcome in highly anticipated Brad Spielberger joining us now. He's a salary cap analyst, contributor, and so much more. He's got the smarts really good regarding the NFL from PFF. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Are you concerned that you are now the fourth in four years from PFF to weekly join this show, Brad? You concerned at all? I was warned about coming on, so maybe, maybe I'll find out why. Everyone told me to be cautious. Say, hey, maybe we're matching the Colts quarterback situation, but I'll be the Anthony Richardson, and we'll stick this thing out for the foreseeable future. <laughs> I, I think it started with Sam Monson. I think Sam said, never have me on with this dude again. I think that's what happened. <laughs> never, never, ever again. I, all right, let's, let's start here. Start with what you see. How easy might it be? And I'm not even talking about from an extension standpoint right here. How easy would it be for at least in the present for the Colts monetarily under the cap to make Jonathan Taylor just a little bit happy? Yeah, if they wanted to get that done, they certainly could. You know, it's obviously never easy to give a big near-the-top-of-market deal to any player and fit that in, but we just mentioned Anthony Richardson. The biggest cheat code in the NFL from a financial standpoint, the easiest way to surround that quarterback with talent is have him on a rookie contract. You know, I would argue you can't really make the salary cap or not enough cash excuse um, if you're not paying a, a, a veteran quarterback, and I guess they're paying Matt Ryan a little bit more money than they'd like to, but you know, yeah, this twenty-three million dollars. What's that? <laughs> right. What's yeah. that? What's, you know, that, that, that's getting yeah. an orca across the country. That, that's nothing. Yeah, I, uh, you know, and Brad Spielberger joins us from PFF. You know, it's weird. Uh, you look at what normally teams like to do. They draft that quarterback and then build in the pieces around them. What's different about the Colts is, you know, they've got significant offensive pieces, at least in terms of the Colts, in Taylor and in Michael Pittman Jr. that they're putting around a quarterback with 13 games under his belt collegiately right now. So that is a little bit backwards from the normal operational procedure in rebuilding something in the NFL, is it not? It it certainly is, but I think you look to Shane Steichen, obviously his last stop in Philadelphia, that's exactly what you saw with Jalen Hurts, where you drop him in with a very good offensive line. I guess you did add some weapons around him as time went on in Devontae Smith and, of course, the trade for A.J. Brown. But, yeah, stepped into maybe the best offensive line in football, a good defense, a good ecosystem around him, and obviously that led to some pretty quick success last year. 
I, we, we talked about this yesterday. This happened over the weekend, actually late Friday. Uh, Kenyon Drake was brought in. Kenyon Drake certainly is an experienced backfield presence. Uh, he's always that guy that everybody midseason picks up in fantasy football. He's been that dude for the past couple of years. Uh, he's been in Arizona, certainly most notably in, in Baltimore, which would have similar quarterbacking situations as to what we expect with Anthony Richardson here. Does he bring... Anything of value, in your opinion, to this team? Is it just a camp body in the backfield, or could this be more for this Colts team in this signing? I don't know if I would go so far as to say camp body. I also, you know, wouldn't go to the other end of the spectrum and say he's going to come in and be, you know, a serious, meaningful contributor in 2023. But what I do like about him, which you just mentioned, and some of the quarterbacks he's played with, is that because he's a guy that you can bring on the field in all three downs, he has pass-catching chops, he has pass-blocking chops, and, of course, the good early down runner, things of that nature, you know, I think you can use a mobile quarterback with him and he can do different things, run the option or, or, or catch some, you know, check downs and be used in different ways because of his versatile skill set. I will say, um, you may not have seen this because it broke about 10 seconds before I just joined you on the phone. No, I saw it, it now. You can tell everybody. You can break it here in Indy. You can tell everybody about it. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll break some news in the airways. Yes. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, Kareem Hunt uh, is scheduled to come in for a visit tomorrow with the Colts. And I think him, you know, obviously not a great season last year in Cleveland, but he's a guy where, you know, what, 27 years old probably still has some juice, also a guy that I think can do everything you ask of a running back. Um, and that, I think, is maybe a more meaningful addition to this roster than a Kenyan Drake. All right, so what would this tell you? If you were reading between the lines, is it somebody to bring in to protect yourself or is it somebody to bring in because you just don't know and or believe anytime soon Jonathan Taylor is going to be back? I think it is protecting yourself to to a small degree. I think it's also you always add leverage any way you can, even if it's a small situation. Um, but, yeah, I think it is at least entertaining the idea of we might not have Jonathan Taylor for a couple games this season, whether that's because they're actually concerned about his health now with his ongoing ankle issue or they're concerned he's going to skip time, which I think is you know borderline. I, I, I'd be shocked if he misses time by choice. Um, but, yeah, it's saying, hey, you know what? If we have to go Kareem Hunt, Evan Hall, um, you know, Kenyon Drake, we're going to at least know what that looks like to be prepared for it. All right. Most recent. You mentioned the most recent output production-wise from Kareem Hunt. Um, and it wasn't great. But what do you think he may or may not have left in the tank? I think he sold a couple years left. Yeah, he, he was not good in Cleveland last year. He made it clear pretty early on in that season he was unhappy with his contract wanted a new deal and I don't think he you know didn't try or things of that nature as a result you know maybe he was dealing with you know a nagging injury or something like that but certainly was not his best year but you go and look back at his career obviously was the rushing title you know holder as a rookie has legitimate pass catching ability was used in that capacity because Nick Chubb and Cleveland might be the best pure runner in the NFL certainly in the conversation with a guy like a Jonathan Taylor um, you know he, he brings that versatility and that flexibility to your offense but in particular, as an outlet and a safety valve for Anthony Richardson, I think could be a big part of what his role looks like. And again, that's Brad Spielberger, who's with PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. That report from Ian Rappaport also mentioned that Kareem Hunt had a great visit with the Saints. Uh, now he is on his way here. So he had a great, according to Ian Rappaport, and I'm assuming from the representation of Kareem Hunt, a great visit with the Saints, and now he is on his way to Indy to meet with the Colts. I, I'm curious. We also have, looking out here, a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. 
and certainly a lot more love position wide receiver that's going to be due an extension. If you're the Colts, how do you handle that? Because Pittman Jr. here, Brad, has said, I'm okay with playing out the season and then doing it afterwards, whatever. I mean, he really did. He took the high road on this and said, I'm just going to go out there and play. I'm fine with what's going on right now. How, in your opinion, should the Colts handle this considering how they're handling? And I know it's different from running back to wide receiver, but considering how they're handling present time Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, it's a bit interesting to me. You know, look, I think he is a legitimate number one receiver in this league. Obviously, last year in one of the you know least efficient passing offenses in the NFL, didn't have a great season. Still, you know, crazy high reception number, but of course, you know, very low in terms of the actual yards per reception he's putting up and trying to catch passes from Ellinger and Ryan and, and all the guys starting the football. But I think for me, what I probably would have thought was. We just saw a very depressed wide receiver market in free agency. Basically, no one got a very good deal. Um, and I might try to pounce now where the market is a little bit down. It spiked the year before. And get in, get in there before T. Higgins, before other members of this draft class, and, and see if you can get a minor discount because, you, you know, reward a guy who has been productive, has been consistently playing and durable and all those things. Um, you know, maybe he's not a top 10 receiver in your eyes, but I think you could find a middle ground to where you think it's still a good value. Um, but I guess at the same time, you know, you take Alec Pierce in the second last year, you take Josh Downs in the third this year, you know, maybe they're just trying to go throw a bunch of bodies at it, kind of be a committee approach at receiver. They don't really have any other franchise tag candidates in my mind, you know, coming into next off season. So they feel as though they can be patient and just let it play out naturally. To Brad Spielberger here of PFF, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You mentioned that, in your opinion, Michael Pittman Jr. is a number one. Is that just in terms of being a number one for the Colts, or do you believe he's a number one throughout the NFL landscape? I think he probably would be. You know, if I'm being totally honest, yeah. Like, do I put him in the top 20? I think if I sat down and wrote a list, maybe not. But if we're going to define number one receiver as one of the 32 best guys in the NFL – or if we're going to say, you know, is he a true outside X receiver that, that can take that role on and do those things, a, a possession guy, a go-to guy on third downs and down in the red zone, and all the components that I think we associate with, you know, quote-unquote number one, I think he checks both of those boxes. So, so yeah, I, I would characterize him as such. I, I, it's funny because around here most people would disagree with that. Now, is that, to your opinion, We've watched such bad offense, certainly recently, that, that maybe you don't give Michael Pittman Jr. a fair shake at being and showing a true number one? Or, or you think maybe some people have a reason, production-wise, to believe that he's not that? Because most of the opinions around here is, you know what, you got to resign him, you got to extend him, you know that, but he is not a true and or a traditional number one wide receiver. Could that be all because of what's been around him and certainly a quarterback in recent history? History. So I think that's a huge part of it for sure is that you always have to take the context of the passing offense when you're looking at, you know, traditional stats and other things of that nature. I'll say this, look, I, I would agree from the standpoint of you look at his testing, it was underwhelming pretty much across the board. He's not an elite athlete by any means. He's not an elite separator. He is a good, you know, contested catch guy, but I don't think he's making acrobatic DeAndre Hopkins level catches week in and week out as another one of those guys that doesn't really separate at a high level, but was able to produce in other manners. So uh, I get the argument. I totally, I totally see that perspective, but I do think a young guy that's been consistently productive, um, maybe if you do get a better passing offense in the fold, his numbers start looking like, you know, what, what you want to define a number one as. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a fringe conversation, but hey, he's a very good football player. 
So Brad Spielberger again, PFF with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group pylon. It was a struggle for this offensive offensive line here a year ago. And considering how much money, time, and effort that Chris Ballard certainly over the years have put into this offensive line, they are kind of riding on it, Brad, this year being blamed kind of like of the quarterback situation of a year ago. The reason why it was bad was because the offense was bad, because the quarterback was bad, because it was always a position in flux. They are counting on it, turning around, and being what they expect this year. Easier said than done. What do you think about that group, and can it not so subtly turn around from the output we saw a year ago with a new position coach and Tony Sperano Jr. and year number two of what they believe to be is in Bernard Ryman, their left tackle of the future? Yeah, it really was kind of bizarre how much they collectively fell off as a group. You know, great players like Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, the guys we've been accustomed to playing at an extremely high level that obviously earned their extensions. I think Ryan Kelly's always been solid, and obviously he was dealing with a lot of things, uh, many of those not really football-related. So you have to take all those things into consideration. But, you know, for that reason, I do think they can turn this thing around fairly quickly. I think you have to have hope that there is, like you said, because the offense has improved and communication has improved and, and they feel more comfortable maybe with the quarterback at a certain point once they develop that timing and chemistry with Anthony Richardson and or Gardner Minshew, um, you know, you just start to feel better on and on. And I think the big thing, too, is, you know, working to improve some of that depth. You know, you add a Blake Freeland in the draft who could be a swing tackle type player for you. Um, You know, you just make sure that if you do have some injuries, which are an inevitability, especially up front, that you don't have a massive drop-off to the next person. um, And it's more of a, you know, a slight drop-off. I think they've done enough there where – some positive, you know, regression year to year, and we could be talking about them as again, you know, one of the one of the better units across the league. What do you expect Alec Pierce to be able to do in year number two, a wide receiver? I think he's a perfect stylistical fit with Anthony Richardson, which is one thing I really hey, hold on. I don't I don't want to break your thought here. You say stylistically, I'm writing that down. I'm going to use that word from now on. Oh yeah, I'm always oh, yeah. I'm always looking for big, easily pronounced, easily understood words. I'm going to use that. Do you mind? Of course. I'll bring you the, thesaur- the oh, I couldn't even say it, the thesaurus every week. And we'll yes, please do. Because, <laughs> I, I listen, the last book I read, I was 16 years old, and I said I was done reading forever. That was then This Is Now by S.E. Hinton. I was done. So I, I, my, as far as my thesaurus is concerned, it is not large. So, yes, bring some really good, easily pronounceable words each and every week here, okay? Go ahead. I got you. I promise. Yes. I promise. Yeah. So, you know, so, so all that said, I, I really do think he fits perfectly with Richardson to where we saw Richardson last year in Florida. He likes to attack down the field, had one of the higher average depth of targets across college football, um, and, and likes targeting these bigger body outside receivers that can make those contested catches, that can get a step of separation and use their body control, you know, get a couple feet in on the sideline, things like that. That is Alec Pierce's game. That was his game at Cincinnati. That's kind of been his game so far in the NFL. Again, was, you know, kind of catching passes from guys that couldn't really attack downfield last year. I think Anthony Richardson, you know, flicking his wrist can probably throw the ball further than Matt Ryan can stepping into it with two, you know, hurdles. So, um, you know, I I think they make a ton of sense together. I think he's going to be pretty productive this year. All right. Shaquille Leonard signed an extension, obviously played through, really, you go back not just last year uh, and wasn't up to – uh, and didn't play a lot, wasn't up to what he, he felt year prior, was still dinged up, but went out there and caused a lot of turnovers, really a turnover machine he was the year before last. What's your expectation of of what is now hopefully a healthy Shaquille Leonard at linebacker moving forward? I mean, can he be 
and I mean difference maker in terms of turning the football over at a pace two years ago that he was on, can he be that type of linebacker again? You know, if he, if he feels he's back to close to 100% health, I have no reason to doubt that he can. I think the big thing for him will be, you know, obviously a good interior duo with DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart. Can you get growth from Quiddy Pay and Deo Dangbo and some of the other players along the edge, a lot of young players in that rotation, um, you know, can they wreak havoc and cause problems and chase the quarterback around that then enables Leonard to, you know, force some fumbles or, or get some interceptions near the, the line of scrimmage, things like that. That's going to be the key because, look, there are – some question marks across the entire secondary. If a quarterback has time back there, I'm not sure Darius Leonard's going to be able to, you know, make a lot of those splash plays, those field-flipping, game-changing plays. Um, but if they do, I-, I do. I think he's going to get back to being, you know, the animal we're used to seeing out there. All right. We, we talked about you know, in terms of an extension with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, that's not happening right now. We, we talked in terms of an extension, which will happen at some point from Michael Pittman Jr., but I know that you have an article regarding some of the more interesting players going into 2023 that are out there playing for also significant extensions. Who are the most intriguing to you? You mean for – sorry about that. You cut off for a bit. For the yeah, the, 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 the 2023 players that you have outlined that are playing for significant monetary extensions here, who's the most interesting of that group to you? I got you. Yeah, I think Chase Young in Washington, probably an easy answer, but but I really think he's fascinating because the spectrum of where he could end up, I think, is just so, so wide to where, look, if he gets hurt again and misses a bunch of time again, we're probably looking at a player that's signing a you know, one-year flyer, trying to get his career back on track and look like that you know defensive rookie of the year we saw back in 2020. If he stays healthy and, and is paired with – you know, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat and an overhauled secondary now in Washington as well. You know, every time he plays, he grades super well for us, both against the run and as a pass rusher. You know, high pass rush win rate, high pressure rate, um, you know, great defensive stops, good, you know, you know, setting an edge. Then maybe we're talking about is this guy signing a really, really big deal in free agency, whether that's in Washington or elsewhere if they let him go because they paid so many guys up front. I think he has one of the more fascinating contract years we've seen, you know, across the NFL in a couple of years. All right. Well, what do you think throughout the AFC South here? And I guess we'll start with Tannehill right now. It looks like Malik Willis is the backup now in, in Tennessee. Um, and Will Levis is not the backup as of right now again. Uh, and you've got everybody believing that Jacksonville is in high gear to do some things that they haven't done. And then you got Houston with C.J. Stroud, also a rookie quarterback, much like Anthony Richardson here. What, what do you, how do you size up that, that particular division starting with Jacksonville, Brad? Yeah, so, you know, I am a Jacksonville believer. I, I understand why they're a heavy favorite in, in this division, you know, minus 150 or whatever it is in the, in the betting markets to win the AFC South. I totally get why that is the case. But I will say, you know, I think you can poke some holes. The offensive line, you lose. Uh, you know, a great player to free agency. You, you lose Cam Robinson to a suspension for the first six games of the year. Um, and it starts to get interesting with Anton Harrison, your first-round pick, and Walker Little, your second-round pick from a couple years ago. You know, can they hold up over that stretch? Uh, the defense also, the secondary, I think you can poke a bunch of holes in. But all of that said, Doug Peterson in this offense in year two, you drop in Calvin Ridley, who, you know, is a, is a bona fide number one wide receiver. I think they're going to be a dynamic and high-powered offense. Um, so, yeah, we'll start there. With the Texans, I think they have, you know, taken some steps. that They should be better on defense in particular. I do like this secondary. They have a ton of players in the back end, and Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie that showed flashes last year as rookies. 
can make plays on the ball, you know, can do a lot of different things, and they have a lot of guys that can play in the slot, can play safety, can kind of get moved all around. And I like D'Amico Ryan's coming in. You get Will Anderson. You get Sheldon Rankins on the interior. Um, you know, I, I think they'll be better there. But, but I do see some growing pains for C.J. Stroud in this offense, just not great weapons. Um, and I think it's going to be a bit of a slog on the offensive side of the ball. Last but not least, the Tennessee Titans, you know, I think they're kind of similar to last year, frankly. They're going to be a very good run defense. We know this defensive line is going to be multiple. They're going to show a million different looks. They're going to rotate eight or nine guys across the defensive line that play meaningful snaps uh, throughout the season. I think they have the worst offensive line in the NFL, and I think their weaponry, even with DeAndre Hopkins, is probably below average across the NFL, even though I do like a young Traylon Burks and a young Chuck Chigakonkwo. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think it's a, a toss-up division for number two uh, behind the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, who I do think are going to figure things out this year. There he is. He's going to be here every Tuesday breaking stuff down. Brad Spielberger, PFF. Now, what do you got on the horizon? Podcast, articles, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, I got some more articles coming out. Uh, I got another one t- coming out tomorrow about my favorite season-long prop bets uh, across the NFL. Don't well, 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 well share, share them a little bit. Give us a little tease here. <laughs> of course, of course. So uh, you got, let's see, Amon Ross St. Brown to lead the NFL in receptions. It's a long shot that I like. That's 18-1. to 1. He only has the eighth longest odds uh, in, in the market. Uh, was sixth in receptions last year. Was second in target rate last year. Um, I think that's a fun bet. And there's a couple others in there you got to check out. Uh, that'll be coming out tomorrow. You got it, man. Hey, well done on the debut. And listen, don't worry about the fact that you're the fourth in four years right here. And there may be something not wrong with you guys, but wrong with me. All right? It's okay. I'm going to work through it. I'm going to work through I mean, it. Do, do, do you kind of question why you're the fourth in four years now, considering just how uh, uh, much of a congenial host that I am on this show? Right. We had a great time. I really, I wonder when it, when it starts to go sour. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can understand last year because this thing was a clown show around here basically after the first month. So, yeah, that's what happened. Hey, Brad, man, I appreciate that, and uh, we'll do it again next Tuesday. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Brad Spielberger. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. All those questions and more, and I'm sure he's thrilled for the first time to join the show and have to talk about continuously this running back soap opera from the star. He covers the Colts. It is Nate Atkins with us. Hey, Nate, for the first time, thank you for the time. How you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to finally uh, get a chance to hop on here and talk a little bit of Colts with you. So did I accurately assess where we are right here? I mean, there. it's funny. Because I know the team that you cover, they would, they would you, me, and others, they would rather us not, you know, read the tea leaves or read between the lines, you know, or make our own assessments. But more times than not, they are so incredibly vague 
that were forced to do that, especially me sitting right here for three hours a day. So I would ask you, with all that has gone on in the past eight or nine hours, learning about what's going on with Jonathan Taylor, knowing his situation, knowing that Kenyon Drake is in there, knowing Kareem Hunt is on the way, how would you at the moment, without absolutely knowing what is going on, assess this situation? Yeah, it definitely seems like a situation where they have to keep options open. I don't think it's a situation where they're really in control a lot. Uh, I think they've had to realize that since that meeting on the bus, uh, whatever that was, a week and a half ago at this point. Uh, they've they've not gained any more control over Jonathan Taylor and the situation he's going through. I thought that was clear when Shane Steichen said he hopes he's back in training camp. It doesn't sound like they have a read on if it is truly – just an injury health situation with him. They don't have a read on how close that is or, or what the timeline is. Uh, there wasn't, you know, he's gone. Shane Sykin's gone from not answering any questions whatsoever on Jonathan Taylor to today having to reverse that when they found out that Jonathan Taylor was uh, leaving the premises to go train elsewhere. So it, it is hard to get to the bottom of exactly why it's all going on this way, but that's why they're bringing in Kareem Hunt. That's why they signed Kenyon Drake. These are experienced running backs who've been there and done that because they realize they may need guys who've been there, who have been there and done that and handled big workloads. Uh, if they don't have Jonathan Taylor and they know they won't have Zach Moss, at least until maybe the start of the regular season, if he can get back from his broken arm, you add in Deion Jackson was out today. I'm not entirely sure why we haven't gotten an update yet, but the backfield is just getting very thin for a team that really wanted to run the ball, maybe more than any team in football. When you consider they have a rookie quarterback in Anthony Richardson, and that's obviously his skill set. And uh, it, it just it was the way that they thought this year would go with Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. And they've been building it toward that and realize they really need some reinforcements if they want to get anything close to that. So I think Kareem Hunt's just another option to have out there. But I don't I don't know that I would read it as pressure on Jonathan Taylor so much because I, I just don't I just don't feel like they're in control in that way. And I don't think Jonathan Taylor is is reacting in the way that uh, that, that maybe they'd hope. Uh, with some moves like that. Nate Atkins of the Star covers the Colts with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, I'll double back in a second to where we are right now with some other reports uh, surrounding Kareem Hunt and the thought going on here and in New Orleans in just a second. But let's go back now nearly two weeks. It'll be two weeks on Saturday. Um, Were the Colts sideswiped by the stance of Jonathan Taylor, especially during that RV slash incredibly uh, awesome bus conversation they had almost two weeks ago Saturday. Were they surprised by it? Yeah, I think that was a moment when certainly Jim Mercer thought that he'd be able to gain control of the situation. I mean, there's, there's no other reason why you would hold such a public meeting if you didn't think that he was going to produce good results. But all it ultimately did was make the divide between the two sides even wider. It just sort of showed how uh, far apart the two are in the way that they're looking at each other, where for Jim Irsay, this is all business. And this is something he was, this is a business he was born into, uh, you know, 63 years ago. And, and, you know, and he later when he talked to us, you know, gave a quote about how, you know, the NFL just rolls on and it doesn't matter who comes and who goes, because when you're an owner for a football team, that is true. And eventually there'll be a different number 28 Jersey that they're selling out there. That's uh, that's the most popular, or maybe it'll switch to number five with Anthony Richardson. But for Jonathan Taylor, this is his entire livelihood. This is a guy who just got married this spring and who's uh, been living for three years in a culture. The Colts have built where they reward the guys who do the things 
right on and off the field when you have an all pro uh, type of performance and you're invested in the community and you're uh, and, you, and you really gut it out for your team, which he thought he did last season with uh, playing through an ankle that he ended up hurting three different times uh, over the course of nine weeks uh, to, to make it out as much as he did. And he feels like now this is all being used against him because for, like I said, for Jim say it's all, it's all business. So the way that Jonathan's always come off to us prior to, I'd say June was, you know, very, very company man, team friendly guy, because to him, that was always the path that was most likely to, to, to make his dreams come true and to, to get him locked in here. And there was no reason to ever rock the boat in any way. And he feels like that sort of niceness has been used against him where the Colts seem to think that uh, just because he was under contract uh, for this year, that, that he would just be fine playing that way. And if they wanted to use the franchise tag, they could, and he'd just go out there and he'd do all the things that they wanted to do. And this is where just another example of where I just don't think Jim Irsay has been in tune with his locker room. As I, I saw this last fall with when he decided to bench Matt Ryan, he had no idea the reaction that was going to come from his own locker room when they decided to do that after selling Matt Ryan as a face of the franchise for two years. And now he's in a similar situation where you're know, trying to play hardball with the best player on the team, on a team that wants to build around the run game in order to support a rookie quarterback that you know, has a lot of potential, but they really need to race his floor and get him ready. Uh, they're, they're stepping into dangerous territory here, and that's why the, the longer this goes on, I think they get a little bit more nervous, and that's why you see the moves like uh, bringing in Kareem Hunt. Hey, do you think, and Nate Atkins of the Star joins us, do you think that organizationally speaking, um, everybody is clearly on the same page with how they're treating Jonathan Taylor right now, or the tact, the blueprint in which they have, the path they're taking right now with him right now? I mean, organizationally, is that going over with, from what you have learned, 100% approval? Or might there be somebody, an outlier here or there, that thinks, hey, you know what, just like what you just explained and what we talked about here, it is more necessary for Jonathan Taylor to be here and healthy and playing right now with his rookie quarterback trying to evolve than it is anywhere in the NFL. But is is that a universal opinion that they they agree with how Jonathan Taylor's being dealt with now? Uh, you know, with, with these situations, I always think back to the fact that I, I'd have a hard time going out and finding 53 people that would agree with me that today is Wednesday. Uh, so I just think that it's going to be hard Um Actually, today's Tuesday, and so that's a good example of that. <laughs> uh, getting to, to tomorrow already, yeah. but that, yeah, um, but yeah, that's there's players that have already stepped out and, and voiced support for Jonathan Taylor, and so player-wise, I think they're realizing that there's not um, that same opinion as far as the, like the the people running it. It's always hard to completely say because Jim Irsay is the one giving the opinions on this matter, and no one's going to speak differently from the owner. But I will say that it's not playing out the way that Chris Ballard would like to handle this, which is uh, you know behind closed doors and very private, just with the player. Uh, traditionally, they do make offers to players that even if they're a little lower than the player wants, you know, there's some kind of offer. There, according to Jim Irsay, there's been no offer. And, you know, and then, you know, Shane Sykin has said today that he wants to see Jonathan Taylor out there. And so the fact that he's not out there and doesn't seem to be getting any closer when he's leaving to go do a rehab assignment, I mean, it makes you wonder. As far as, the, you know, extending him at a high dollar amount, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, they're in a similar place with that because that's just where the league is, where there aren't very many teams that are rushing out and trying to, uh, trying to extend 
running backs in that way. It, you know, Shane Steichen comes from the Eagles where they, they use a few different backs, and that front office has never really invested high in a running back. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if sort of the, the initial conversations were similar about not dumping tons of money on this player. But to get it to this point where it just doesn't seem like he's close to getting out there and there's not a compromise, there's not a lowball offer, there's not a middle ground of any sort, there's not a negotiation until after the season. I'd just be surprised if everyone in this organization was happy with uh, where this has gone. I'm just curious. The Nate Atkins of the Star joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I look at it this way, too. You've had six years, for the most part, of nothing but disappointment with Chris Ballard. And three years ago, he chose to trade up in round number two for this player, Jonathan Taylor, and got the seal of approval from his owner then because, as you mentioned earlier, this is exactly how he wanted to build. Right or wrong, which now could be proven certainly is wrong, right or wrong, this is how he wanted to build his team offensively. And now you're not willing to to help the situation out, to even extend the situation with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, doesn't this look bad for the general manager, or is it also maybe a sign of a change in philosophy of the general manager moving forward here? Yeah, I think you can make arguments either way. Chris Ballard did say at the end of last season that he has to evolve in some ways, and I think it's possible that he looked back and saw that handing out you know high top of the market deals to an off ball linebacker and a left guard you know maybe put this team in a situation where they weren't strong enough at premium positions and so looking forward to do that at running back maybe not the step that he necessarily wants to take uh you know at the same time though what's hard about all this is that jonathan grew up in that culture where they rewarded players going into their contract year time and again and, and chris has come out and said many times that the locker room knows who gets paid and when they get paid. When you pay players, you're telling everyone this is what you need to be. And if they aren't that, that then they'll know that's why they're not getting the contract. They didn't follow through with that on Jonathan Taylor. So it's, it's created a mess uh, kind of either way. And it's one of these deals where if they had, you know, they brought in a new head coach. And so there's a, and they've explained that to Jonathan, there is a shift in how they're going to play offense and they want to see how players fit into that. And I think that's a, very plausible explanation to get through. What's a little harder for them is to explain why they're not following the same path the general manager has followed for a while. If they had a new general manager, for example, I think they could say that it's a new way of doing business. The old deals right. don't apply. The old team philosophy, building philosophies don't apply, and everyone's fighting for a new job. So some of this is just the natural weirdness of the situation of bringing back the general manager who built this team but trying to just cleanse out the coaching staff bring in a new quarterback, and it's sort of like it, so far it's been, I don't know, maybe a retooling. It's not quite a rebuild. They're, they're ro- rolling, you know, roll back the same offensive line they had last year. Uh, they chose not to trade DeForest Buckner when I think they could have gotten at least a day-two pick if they wanted to go that route. So they're letting Chris Ballard maintain a lot of what he's built so far. So if this is a shift in philosophy, at the very least, it hasn't been very ar- clearly articulated, which is just interesting because – it's not been for lack of time. He's met with Jonathan Taylor for long conversations in May and June, and then again on the first day of training camp. So they've had a chance to lay this out, and I don't know if, if that was just too late to lay it out for Jonathan when he was already expecting the deal or if they haven't laid it out clearly, but it just doesn't seem like uh, like they're 
they've gotten on the same page so far. So Nate Atkins of the Star, he covers the Colts, kind enough to join us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I guess you could easily blame it on the offensive philosophy of the first-year head coach uh, if you wanted to. And certainly that would bring a lot of pressure, even more pressure, for the first-year head coach in Shane Steichen. It just um, – to me, I look at the running back, and maybe I view this differently. I know that you know Miles Sanders is no longer in Philly; he's now in Carolina, and uh, they bring in I think uh, DeAndre Swift to try to take his place and still have you know a, a bunch of running backs. And I know that they utilized a lot, but still, Nate, a year ago in Philly, with the success they had winning the NFC, going to the Super Bowl, they had a 1,200-yard rusher in Miles Sanders. He was significant. Now, granted, they had 700 yards out of Jalen Hurts. That's a big deal. But these other guys that they utilized, I, I don't think, went over 300 yards apiece offensively for them a year ago. So they did rely on a significant offensive run weapon in Miles Sanders. And I just think that you know, unless we're looking at Kareem Hunt in a rebirth, Without Jonathan Taylor, you don't have anywhere in the neighborhood of that type of production with the success we saw in Shane Steichen's offense a year ago. It just seems like, that to me, that running back is much more needed, somebody that can produce than just viewing him as disposable. And in this case, Jonathan Taylor should be the guy. Yeah, it's interesting if you look at the way that the Eagles – did that they let miles sanders play four years out and you know he was kind of their bell cow every year had at least 750 yards and like you said last year was at 1200 yards and that aligned with you know he's moving on in a free agency and they didn't bring him back as jalen hurts you know just completed his third year gets the massive contract from the eagles and it's kind of his team now he's a you know an mvp finalist and, and in their minds you know miles sanders was key to helping raise the floor to insulate this young quarterback. And now it's his time to ascend without needing to pay that kind of player. I think that's the idea with John and Taylor here is that they have him for this year. When Anthony Richardson's a rookie, they could franchise tag him next year. They could franchise tag him a second year after that and still be below the top of the market for running backs. I honestly think that was the plan all along. And like I said, what just went so wrong for them is they assumed that Jonathan would just be fine with that, that that would just play out or at least, maybe not fine with it, but would eventually get over it or that they could, you know, they could encourage him to, to play it out and earn his, earn his future. But the way things have gone with the running back market where it's, you know, he's, he's gotten to see so much writing on the wall. And then he hops on a zoom call with all of them where they're talking about all this, like this is so front of mind to him that he realized that this exactly what's going to happen, that the franchise tag is waiting for him, uh, you know, in a year from now. And I think that probably became a little bit more clear when, the owner, Jim Irsay, is tweeting about uh, you know agents wanting to redo the CBA to change that franchise tag amount because that's in the front of Jim Irsay's mind. So they have this plan here to, to do this and utilize Jonathan Taylor. And I think what they'd love is for him to lead the league in carries this year and get back to uh, the rushing title and maybe do it again next year. And eventually in two to three years, it's Anthony Richardson's team, and maybe you can just draft it back then. But the issue they're having now is finding a way to get Jonathan Taylor back in the fold, back motivated and ready to play and, and build this thing out. And until they do that, it, there's a few things that are held up. Nate Atkins with us. Do you think Jonathan Taylor is still 
trying to rehab and get back from that ankle surgery. I know you guys, I don't know if it was you or Joel that made the comparison with linebacker EJ Speed. I would love you to get into that. And, and do you think it's more of rehabbing that injury that's still kind of a pain, or is this more of a representational ploy that's going on in all this? Maybe a card that his, his uh, rep is trying to play right now. What do you think? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I mostly am trying to lay out sort of the, the the details as we know it, and then you can kind of read between those. So basically, Jonathan finished last season. Uh, you went out in week 15 with the ankle. I mean, it was pretty badly injured ankle, but he gets a surgery at the end of January that's, uh, that's a cleanup procedure, essentially, and it's a two- to four-week recovery timeline. It is the same one that EJ Speed got, and I talked to EJ about that, and EJ's EJ was able to bounce back super quickly, and he said perfect. And he came back in June for a mini camp. Now EJ's wasn't quite as badly injured, but it was the same sort of cleanup procedure. It's not what you do if there's structural damage or anything like that. But the thing is that even if it was, you know, a really bad sort of ankle injury from from a source I, I talked to that knows a lot about this in this field, like that would even at most usually be about a three month laps and for Jonathan to it's now it's now been nine practices of training camp and now he's away from the premises rehabbing uh it's it's it certainly is odd and the way that you know I've, I I originally pinned the Colts down on this and this is where uh Shane kind of reiterated it with us today is that uh they have to report a new injury that happens in a team setting uh significant injury which is what this would be to cost nine days so he has not had any new injury whatsoever on any football level in the football, uh, in any team setting here since last January. So they're saying it's related to that ankle that he suffered uh, the last season. Now, it's possible that he suffered an injury away from the facility, and they floated that out there to ESPN and Fox 59, mentioning this back injury that Jonathan Taylor has refuted. So I do think there's something more going on with his health. It's not as simple as just, hey, my ankle doesn't feel right. There are some things going on, and they're trying to work through why that is and where it happened. And But at the end of the day, you know, they're stuck at a spot where they, they, they put him on the pup list just related to an ankle that was surgically repaired in January that should have had him back at the end of February. And here we are in early August, and he's out. And it just so happens at the same time, he's trying hard for a contract and wants a trade, and it's at the very least, like their their inability to clarify that is going to lead people like us to yeah. to wonder why that is. And I think it's uh, it's certainly not unrelated to to the contract demands. I don't think uh, it doesn't mean that you know that there's not more. I, like I said, I do think there's health health stuff going on with him. But as far as being able to practice and essentially, it, really, for the Colts to have control over that and have an idea of when he could come back. That's what's so up in the air because right now they're just not communicating with him very well. Yeah, you know, I have said before, Nate, that he's not going to get paid unless he plays. So when people ask me, I always say, yeah, I expect him at some point to play. Is this a ploy? Is this an angle that they can work to where he doesn't play and still get paid? Yeah, that's getting interesting because it, what's weird about this is if this is if this is Taylor's camp really pushing his need to be on the pup list, it makes it a lot harder for him to get traded because, I mean, he hasn't practiced yet. So a team to give up the assets 
and the contract he wants when it appears on the outside that what they're saying is he's not healthy. I don't think that helps him out very much. Uh, they did float as far as like from the Colts stand, they did float the putting him on the non-football injury list. If it was an injury away from the facility, that would let them get out of paying him. If it spilled into the regular season, it doesn't sound like that's where they're going to go. Now it seems like uh, it's just too much time has passed to kind of re- go back and say some non-football injury from way back in the spring or before training camp is the reason that they're going to do that. But if, there will be a point where if they, if they rule him healthy and they say you need to come off the pup list, and if he's not willing to practice at that point, if, if it becomes a true holdout, then they would be able to fine him almost $50,000 a day. And I just get the sense that that's sort of the – that's a situation nobody wants. Obviously, Jada doesn't want it, but the Colts are not going to want that because – it becomes so public and so triggering, not just to Jonathan, but to all the players who saw him play another seven or so games after the ankle injury last year and who saw him grow up as this player who was their MVP type of back back in 2021 and a guy that they thought would get rewarded and isn't getting rewarded. To, to not reward that player and then to also punish him with a daily fine, uh, it's a risky thing for a first-year head coach like Shane Steichen to try and work through on a locker room that he's still getting used to. So that's why I just – that's the situation they don't want to get to. But at some point, I do feel like we have to have a resolution because he's got to – you think he's got to get some work to get ready for the regular season. At some point, we got to know if he's going to play or or I guess they could string this out and just keep him on on the pup list into the regular season. But – uh, yeah, at some point, like you just wonder why he's here if that's going to be the case. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know quite what the resolution is going to be, but something's going to have to happen here. Yeah, it's funny. I had Mike Tannenbaum on a little bit earlier, and he had mentioned that you know he obviously had had heard of and and seen situations before to where. Uh, you know, a contract squabble like this, a soap opera turned into, you know, situations uh, kind of akin to to what we see right now. Because I'd ask, it, it's tough to say. All right, so you know, you're faking an injury. You know, is this all fake? Is this to make sure that you get paid? And he said that's not what he's suggesting right now. But obviously, it has been done before, and we'll see if. Uh, uh, that situation is where it is right now. It's Nate Atkins with us. Before I let you go, uh, a couple of tweets here. Earlier with Adam Schefter was Kareem Hunt. It was called a great visit with the Saints, and now he is on his way to Indy to meet with the Colts. This coming up tomorrow, Diana Russini uh, said Kareem Hunt was called by Indy before he even stepped foot on the field to work out for the Saints and was offered more money per source. So I don't know if you saw that, but she is, she is suggesting he was offered more money here. And again, it kind of just sounds like that is, all right, I want to be here with the Saints, but I'm doing this to try to better my situation monetarily with the Saints. I don't know what you gather from that, but give me your opinion. Yeah, it could be that. I don't have uh, specific knowledge. I know Joel Erickson's working more uh, on the Cream Hunt story. Uh, but it is a situation like running backs right now are trying to get yeah. – they're trying to find a market that's just not being very kind to them. And Kareem Hunt's one of those, that, you know, former Russian champ who's 28 years old but not coming off his best year. And so I'm sure there's a little bit of, you know, trying to get something more than the league minimum right now and also find 
a lot of these guys want to find a situation where they can play for a year and maybe be a starter or something close to that so they can try and earn a deal next year, although it's kind of banging their head against the wall in the same difficult market here. But I would just say that the timing of it is interesting because it was this morning that uh, you know the Colts realized that they're they weren't going to have Jonathan Taylor around, and that you know, it, granted, it was also with Deion Jackson mispractice, and so then that's when reportedly, of course, based on these tweets, is when they looked into Kareem Hunt a little bit more. So um, if they are offering more money uh, than the Saints, I mean, it's, it's they may not be saying a lot because no one's really offering a lot of money for running sure. backs, but it could be an indication of you know a little bit more of the need that's forming here. The Colts do have about $19 million in cap space, I believe. So they're certainly not a team that, that can't fit in a running back right now. And it, it just kind of, I think, illustrates a little bit of the spot they're in where they don't know when or potentially if they'll get their best backs back on the field. And if they don't do that, then they're relying on really young players and an offense that wants to run the ball a ton. So they kind of have no choice but to look around. Yeah. Would you be messing with Kareem Hunt if you were the Colts right now? I mean, I know that at last year, at the start of the season, he he had officially asked for a trade and didn't like his situation in Cleveland, and and obviously you go back a long way and you can find some uh, certainly situations that um, normally you would not want to be involved with. Certainly, I know that enough time has passed from that, and he's already played in another place. But if you were the Colts in this situation, would you be even messing with it? Uh it's hard to say. I mean, Cream Hunt. I always liked him as a player, but I do feel like he, he kind of tapered off last season. Um, he got to 17 games, but he only averaged 3.8 yards of carry behind. It was really a very nice offensive line in Cleveland. So I don't know if he's sort of like if that's buying a guy on the back end or not. Sure. I mean, he's still 28, so it's it's just kind of hard to say. Uh, you know, it, it really comes down to what they think they can do with Jonathan Taylor, I think, because – with Zach Moss, they're hopeful that they'll get him back by week one, but you just don't quite know. And if you get into, like, you know, if he can't get back to week two, maybe week three, you look at the other options they have. Evan Hull's a rookie, so he's never played. Uh, Deion Jackson's pretty inexperienced. Uh, he can catch the ball, but um, as far as doing the things they want to do in the run game, uh, you know, I could understand why they're looking around because one of the big things that's going to happen here is we know they're going to run the ball a lot, but if they don't have backs that can take volume or make plays out there, what's going to happen is I think they, they fear defense is just king in on Anthony Richardson on some of these RPO or option looks. And what you don't want is a, a, a situation where Anthony's just getting swarmed by defenses and, and not being efficient, but also risking injury. Because one of the worst situations to me would be if he gets hurt early in the season and misses significant time and then, you're not developing him as a passer. You're not getting him those reps he needs to learn on the field when he only has 13 career starts if he's in the trainer's room. So they need something just to just to kind of get away from that. That's why I thought Jonathan Taylor was so valuable as a guy who has led the league in uh, rushing attempts. And I think they, like I said, I think they think the same thing. The the problem is, you know, the route they want to take right now to get there is not something Jonathan wants to do. And uh, right now they're just. 
I, I, it's a situation where I don't think they love the options they have. And yeah. So Kareem Hunt is one of those options right now. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure I'd mess with that. To be quite honest, that's why I brought it up. But uh, yeah, we'll see how deeply this thing goes. Hey, I, I kept you for a while, Nate. I appreciate it. And for the first time, it was an outstanding conversation. And uh, here, here's to many more. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. And drop back in anytime. We loved having you. Sure thing. Thanks for having me and call me up anytime. Hey, fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy it floors to your home. Right, Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just 80 cents a square foot. 80 cents a square foot? That's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations. Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floors to Your Home. That's who.